Well, hi. How you doing, Heather? Hi. <laughs> so good. Mike, how are you? Good. Sorry, guys. I just decided to hit record because like Heather and I, generally with the show, just to back up a little bit, generally with the show, uh, I like to talk to the guests for a little bit just to kind of see how life is for them and you know what's going on. And Heather and I kind of went on this um, path, I guess... <laughs> path about authenticity. And I was like, you know, let's just hit record and see what happens. So Heather, here you are. Here I am. And welcome everybody to Live Your Truth Now. Um, Heather, you were just talking to me about... You got a lot of crap for a reel about authenticity, um, more so through the lens of being authentic. And uh, I'd like to kind of just open that thing up. Let's kind of just jump right into it. Yeah. So I'm wrestling with this. I don't know what I think. So let's just start there. Yeah, that go I could for be it. completely wrong and I could be off. And in one year, I might like cringe listening to this. I have no idea. But I'm excited about that because, <laughs> you know, like Elizabeth Gilbert says, you know, living a creative life is really just living a curious life and mm-hmm. you have to live a life through the lens of curiosity. So I'm curious right now. You said, Mike, that your show is to promote this idea of people living in their quote, authentic truth, Mm -hmm. which sounds super sexy. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome, right? Because I want to be authentic, Mm -hmm. right? Um, However, this thought has been circulating my Instagram feed and I've been digging into it a little bit around when authenticity isn't helpful and not noble and not something that we want to pride ourselves with. Because sometimes when we say I'm being authentic, it's actually an excuse for living a very egocentric life, making decisions that only serve us. Example, I'm sleepy, I'm tired, I had a long day, I get on this thing with Mike and I'm kind of an ass to Mike, you know, (laughs) a little bit not on my game. I know we're recording a podcast for your show, but I'm going to, since it's authentic to me, I've had a long day. I'm not going to be quote, fake with you and performative with you, I'm going to be a little more sluggish and I'm going to be a little more grumpy because that's my authentic truth right now. Mm -hmm. Is that being noble because I'm being honest and real in the moment? Or is it a disservice to you and your audience because I'm not getting over my own sluggishness and showing up to the mic the way that I should? What do you think? That's a a great... I mean, that's a great question. I, you know, for me... If you were tired, too tired to do this podcast and you were really selfish, so to speak, uh, you wouldn't have shown up today. <laughs> that's how I... Maybe. 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 Right. Or maybe not. Maybe yeah. maybe that I just, you know, whatever. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's an interesting question of what is our true self? And that's the, that's the thing that Todd Herman talks about in the alter ego, which I'm really fascinated by right now, but it's, we accept that our present moment, whatever's going on is like our quote authentic self, as opposed to maybe a better version of us is our true self. And we're constantly aiming towards that. Yeah. I I think it's a target that you can never hit what it means to be your, your true self. You know, there's always, there's always something to go after in terms of discovering who we really are. Um, For me, at least in my journey and my experience, I have found that the journey of discovering who we are in the true self is is from the time you were born to the time that you pass away. And everything in between is an education school of life. So 
you know, to reach, I finally discovered my true self. Have you noticed that you haven't heard anybody really promote that or say that out loud? <laughs> like nobody says, I've made it, guys. I finally figured out my true self. I think they've discovered a lens or a version of their selves mm-hmm. in this moment of time that does feel authentic to them. However, if you really truly are playing the game of the school of life, then you've discovered one aspect of yourself in the current evolution that you're in that is allowing you to connect to that and what you want and what you desire and what you want to go after in this lifetime. Will that be your truth? Let's say if you're 30 years old right now and you're listening to this podcast and uh, you know you discover that you don't want to work your nine to five anymore, you want to go to Costa Rica and surf on the beach and that's you know air quotes, uh, your true self. That may be what feels authentic and what feels authentic to you right now in this moment in time. And that might be an aspect of your true self and through my perspective. Mm. But if you're really growing in life, you're always going to discover another lens of your true self, another lens of your true self. Priorities change, things shift. You know, if you're 30 and you're single, you're like, it's all about me. I'm like going to just find out who I am. Or if you're 20 years old, it's all about me. I'm going to find out who I am. But when you get married, when you have kids, when you um, shift jobs, when you get older, most of the time that thing that you discovered at 30 years old is not going to be the thing that feels like your true self. People fall in and out of love. People fall in and out of you know experiences and people fall in and out of um, periods and transitions in their life. Does that make sense? It does. It's just, it's fascinating to me to kind of challenge and push back on things that even sound good because it sounds yeah. good, you know, this authenticity thing. I'm curious your your perspective on this. This is something I've been wrestling yeah. with too, is when you come from, let's say a certain background, kind of an underdog piece, mm-hmm. maybe you're dealing with confidence issues, whatever. It's kind of common practice. I've done it too, where you create this almost persona that you step into when you're feeling insecure or weak. And it's kind of this alter identity mm-hmm. where you want to be X and you kind of have to step into X, even though it doesn't feel authentic at the time. And after a while, stepping into X, it starts to become more and more yourself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. let's say I feel insecure going into a sales call. Sometimes I need to step into a confident Heather who looks folks in the eye and speaks my worth. And maybe when it's over, I lay on the floor and I'm sweating a little bit, but I stepped into that version of Heather to complete the task at hand. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, right? And it's kind of taught in personal development to kind of step into this alter identity or whatever. What's interesting to me, and I've been questioning this, and I told you before we hit record, I had a good friend of mine who works with a lot of like A-list celebrities and folks who have achieved like cultural status. And he told me, he said, Heather, you don't get that folks who step into these other identities sometimes lose themselves and 30 years later are absolutely miserable because they've lost who they are because of these personas that they've created. And these personas have served them but they get lost in them. Mm-hmm. And so it's just interesting to think about where does like persona, you know, help us and take us to a next level where authentic authenticity mm-hmm. doesn't. 
But where also does it become destructive? This is getting deep AF, Mike. I'm sorry. But <laughs> this is just kind of the stuff that I've been wrestling with. Yes. You asked. <laughs> no, this is where we go on the show. This is like, there's only one Good. direction and that's forward. Um, Good. So two examples come to mind, both in sports. Um, okay. But before that, there's one book by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. It's on my desk right now. And it's called Be Your Future Self Now. And there's a whole... Interesting. And it's a whole okay. book. I'll even like, let me pull it up here real quick. For those of you guys who are watching the podcast on YouTube. I'm pulling so it So here up. you go. It's right here. Be your future okay, self got now. It. Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Um, a dear friend of mine recommended this book and it's 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 really great. I love it. It's the, the neuroscience behind it. Um, the evolution of the future self and visualizing that and how important it is. So that's the book. Um, but the two examples that come to mind for me, one of them is a sports example with Tom Brady. So the version hmm. that society knows as Tom Brady was not always the version that Tom Brady was. Right. That was all shaped and formed from his experiences getting passed up, not once, but six times in the NFL draft before the Patriots took him. Nobody in college or, excuse me, nobody in the NFL thought he was ever going to be the greatest of all time. You know, arguably, hmm. when you look at the position of, of quarterback, which is the most essential position on, in football, no one knew. The only person who knew that was him. Mm. And it took, well, first of all, he wasn't even starting when he got drafted. He was like the backup. And in one game, the starting quarterback at the time, Drew Bledsoe, blew out his knee. And Tom Brady got thrown into the game, never played an NFL snap. And somehow he performed. Mm. And he went on from that day till about a year ago, winning, I think, seven Super Bowls, appearing yeah. in 10. Yeah. Unheard of. Playing quarterback until 42. That's unbelievable. Now, will that version of Tom Brady, who had the underdog mentality, who preached perfection, do your job, teamed up with an amazing head coach, an amazing organization, they played football a beautiful way. It was systematic. It was strategic. It was never about one guy. It was always about the team. Is that version going to serve him when he does TV soon? Maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, but is he going to have that underdog mentality? Because the thing here that I want to stress to everybody is that Tom Brady didn't have the money, the fame, or the recognition that he has now. So it's actually going to be harder for him because now he's not 22 with something to prove. He's 42, right. 43 with nothing to prove. Nothing to prove, yeah. And he's like, he's, he's going to be close to probably a billionaire in the next five years. Mm-hmm. Easily with all of his investments and brands and everything like that. So, you know, bringing this back full circle is that personas serve us in seasons of life when we're going after something that we truly desire to either A, prove a point that we can do it or B, because there's something in our heart that we really, really desire more than anything in the world. And that drive and that hunger comes from the pursuit of the goal. But once you have it, that persona of being the Tom Brady still waking up every single day 
with this chip on your shoulder that people overlooked me. Nobody drafted me in the first round. People drafted the Patriots, drafted me in the sixth round. Everybody slept on me. Nobody told me I was going to be great. Nobody this, nobody that. Now that you have that goal and you've proved the doubters and you've proved the haters and the critics wrong, your goal has to change or you have to set a new goal and your persona is going to have to change. You can still be you, but your goal is going to have to change. And yeah. you're going to have to change. You can't, like, you could still be that way. Um, but, uh, you know, I think for a guy like him, when you've achieved so much, you have to you have to change. And you want to see an example of somebody whose persona has actually done detriment to them is Michael Jordan. That's my other example. Michael mm. Jordan was an amazing basketball player. If you ever watched the documentary, The Last Dance? Yes. It was beautiful. But mm-hmm. Michael Jordan hasn't changed. He was an amazing player, terrible basketball owner. Terrible, bas- great businessman. Horrible, yeah. horrible owner. And from what I still hear is, is like he still is a obsessive gambler, hates losing to the mm-hmm. point where like, you know, in the documentary where he like punched his teammates in the face, <laughs> like... <laughs> He punched his teammates in the face. Like he's, he still has that chip on his shoulder. Yeah. But you don't really see Michael Jordan evolving. He still takes things mm-hmm. personally. And you can watch in the documentary, he still has that heaviness to him. It was like, doesn't yeah. matter how many championships he won. He was still like, there was still like an, a void. There's no internal or fulfillment or peace there. I think with Tom Brady, you've seen a, there's a fulfillment piece there. Like I already did it. And I think he's changing and shifting. Mm-hmm. And so his persona is going to change. But Jordan, I think you don't really see that. So that's the end of my rant on personas. It's just interesting because, you know, you, we talk about transitions, you know, is being, uh, and I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but healthy identity when we're able to seamlessly transition between different personas at the mm. right time and evolve and grow as opposed to just this, what Seth Godin calls, you know, the authenticity trap where we just sink into one identity. This is who I am. This is how I feel, Paul, without ever challenging, mm. is this serving me? Is this serving Mike? Is this the best version of myself right now? Maybe what helped me last season isn't what's going to serve me now. Mm-hmm. This evolution and this change isn't something I don't think is inauthentic. It's again, becoming a better version of ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I anyways. No, I think it's great. And just to cap off that segment, I mean, uh, I heard a great I heard a great quote that you know you're in the right marriage when you can fall in love with the same person three different times. Oh wow. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> right. And I said three different times. And and yeah, and, and so what I took away from that quote is is that, you know, when you're in a really successful marriage or in a really a great marriage, the person that you're with will evolve into three different versions of themselves a minimum of three times. Why three? Why three? Uh, well, because really you know, you have the newlywed, you have the newlywed phase where they're excited and they're then you have the the dad phase or the children phase where, you know, kids change your life. I don't have children, mm-hmm. but these are what my friends tell me. It's like the moment the kid pops out, like there's a shift, especially with yeah. like my friends who are, who are dads. They just said the moment that my kid came out, it was like, I'm shifted completely. It was like an immediate shift. And then there's a shift when you get older, you know, mm-hmm. when you start hitting early, you know, empty nester, 
You start hitting right. retirement. Right. You start hitting right. different. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And it's like, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And so if you think about it, you're falling in love with the same person three times. And mm. it's exciting, but it's also at this, you know, also at the same time, it's like that requires also you letting go of your own ego and this persona you're clinging yeah. on to. Um, and I think that's, you know, candidly, I think that's a struggle that I've had, you know, over the last couple of years is being very steadfast in, you know, this is the way that I do things. Like, you know, I'm a drum, man. Like I march to my own beat. Right. Like that's who I am. Right. Um, right. But then as I get older, it's like, how well is that really serving me to just be a drum? Maybe in some areas, mm-hmm. but is it in all areas? I don't know. I think mm. so. And I and I think that's what's really fascinating about this authenticity um, trap, right? Or this authenticity kind of dilemma that most people are in is like, what does it really mean for us to really truly be ourselves? So a question to you is, is that, you know, you being in the a lot of the air, arena of the creative work, like this creative transition, I guess you're in right now, you work a lot with um, with with a lot with your clients on as a fractional CO aspect, you know mm-hmm. that operations mm-hmm. brain. You have a crazy amount of experience doing it, and you're kind of moving into the season of the creative director, the the idea, the spark. Tell me what mm-hmm. that transition's been like for you. Ooh. Well, let me let me comment on your drum yeah, thing please. real quick because I kind of had an image pop in my head of you know drummers still tune their drums, right? Yep. You still have to tighten it, and so it's like that drumming aspect is such a gift because it creates um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for a uh, almost a safety because there's a rhythm there. Mm-hmm. There is you know uh, structure. Structure is mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And structure is a beautiful thing. It's when you keep drumming to something that's out of tune <laughs> as opposed to just, you know, those, those little micro shifts. Yeah. Anyways, um, there's just transition between operational stuff to more the creative. I On the outside, it seems pretty different, but the more I'm digging into it, the more I'm seeing such an such an overlap. Like we, we've been working in operations for, you know, several years now and I'm getting brought on to work with artists um, who need a little bit of help with the creative direction when it comes to social and figuring out how to position themselves and build community online and and so forth. And it's still a very systematic approach. It's funny because sometimes we think like creativity is like this woo little back to when I feel like it type venture, but Mm -hmm. professional creatives are some of the most disciplined people in this world. I mean, they, yeah. they're, they still have and run a business. And so approaching creativity from so kind of an operational standpoint, um, I'm a very huge, huge fan of Stephen Pressfield, Seth yeah. Godin, these folks who talk a lot about, you know, Jerry Seinfeld who writes every single day. Like there is a structure to this creativity, which sounds super unsexy. But um, if we dive into like a little bit of spiritual muse stuff, I think the muse gets tickled by it because... He, she, whatever you want to say, is looking for somebody who who takes the work seriously. So we have mm. to approach creativity from an operational standpoint is what I'm trying to say. And an alliance too. I think, you know, creativity yeah. has to be an, an alliance, you know, has to be an ally for us. I have found also with creatives, some of my most favorite people to ever work with are art directors and creative oh, directors. Cool. And one of the reasons why is because a really good art and creative director 
will automatically get your respect because mm-hmm. of they because of the way that they go about creating the work. I you know back in uh, and I'll and I'll use a story with my dad who um, ran an agency an ad agency. My dad was like oh, cool. kind of like Don Draper in like the eighties and nineties. You know he had the That's power awesome. tie and he had like the suit and he was doing the the billboards and the the print media with clients like Nestle and Tropicana. You know Carnation Instant Breakfast for those of you guys who remember that. Um, mm. <laughs> you know Garden Burger. He he helped build those brands. Wow. And That's I remember really cool. he had an art director there and there was no pressure to create from the lens of how it is now where we can instantly make a reel, we can spend hours on it and it's just publish and go. And then everybody sees it. Back at that time frame, it was like, John, I need you to come up with a really cool billboard for this new food product, Toll House Cookies from Nestle. Can you do that? And John would say, yes, I can. Um, Give me some time. I'm gonna, I will get you something. I will get something to you by next week. Okay, the client wants mm-hmm. something by then. So that works for me. And that yeah. creative director would have so much time to draw, to sketch. There was no distraction mm. with the TVs and your phone and all of My this. My God, we could talk about this. Right, right. Like So there's no distraction with that. But with the rise of the internet and social media and people's thirst to consume, and we mm. are in a very... Mm consumption-driven society, the window for creativity in the form of what it used to be has condensed so much now that when you work with a video editor, who I think in a lot of ways, and this is just my personal stance, a really good video editor is the modern-day creative director. They're I would 100% a agree really good, A really good video 100%. editor. And people will go to these video editors and say, I need this right now, change it, make it happen, go, go, go. And then it's like the video editor is operating from a creative depletion, a deficit, because they're constantly just pushing the envelope for more creativity through quantity in hopes that quality gets better. But instead of taking a step back and thinking through, that has become the uphill climb for a lot of creative agencies, for a lot of creative agencies. Um, Preach. And I find it that's, you know, being in the podcasting business, you know, there's a lot of times where people are so quick to blow up. I got to do it now. I got to be on, I got to have a million downloads. I have to get sponsorship. I have to get all of these things. Like time is of the essence. And I need you to make me a show and do it right here, right now and make me top of the charts. That's Mm -hmm. what's happened with the... And it's like, I can do that and I can help you get there. I'm not going to promise it, but I can help you do that. But if you want really creative work, it has to go against the grain because we still have human beings making that. Now, we can talk about AI too at some point with creativity, which um, you know we can save that for a whole other conversation. But I think for a lot of us, I think creative directors today and the art of creativity... Um, I think is in a condensed structure and there's a lot of pressure being forced on top of that, on that structure you were talking about in creativity. Yes and no. Mm -hmm. I I would argue that folks who are on the cutting edge of creative work and really paying attention to media are actually saying the opposite now. It's... I'll I'll talk about that in a second. It's the folks... What you're describing are the folks who are not tapped in and paying attention, which mm. is 
problem <laughs> people who and I mean I mean this the most loving way possible, yeah. but the folks that we both probably work with who are not really closely paying attention to media, closely paying attention to um, what's working right now, what isn't. And they're running off of old information from a few years ago when it was really popular to say, put out as much content as possible, which historically has been that Gary Vee model, which P.S. I love Gary Vee. I owe him a lot. Um, mm -hmm. But they don't understand that he's speaking to a certain audience and not speaking to everyone. I would say that folks who are really paying close attention to what's working online understand that it isn't a volume game, that it is a quality game. Mm -hmm. But convincing the I folks who aren't paying attention, who are a lot of our clients, that that's the truth when it seems sexy to just repurpose everything and throw out 50 pieces of content because they're getting information from a few years ago. It's hard to convince them that, yes, putting out one really good reel this week or two really good reels mm -hmm. is a lot more effective than posting three times a day. I will sit on that hill all day long, that it's more effective to spend more time on something than to just shoot shit out. Um, yeah. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, no. It, it totally does. A question for you then. How do you... Or I should... Here's a, here's a question. Um, how does somebody change their mindset around that then? Because... because <laughs> it, and, 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 well, and, and this is why yeah. I'm asking... And this is why I'm asking that because... I, I do agree with you in this old paradigm, right? And I've always been a quality person. Like I've always just growing yeah. up in that world, I've never thought posting three, four times a day was going to serve anybody. I always right. thought the best strategy was think creatively through how you want to convey a message. Mm -hmm. That's it. And tell a story about it. Because um, a great book, Wired for Story, is mm. talks all about the neuroscience of storytelling and how you can not only just sell, but you can connect with people and you can connect in building a brand. And it's a, a, a fantastic book. I recommend it for anybody out there that wants to get better at stories and learn the neuroscience behind it. But you know, in this in that paradigm, if somebody's been ingrained in the days of, you know, post three times a day to every single platform, flood people's timelines, and you are just going to crush it. And getting them to now what we're talking about in terms of like quality and thinking things through and not feeling that pressure. How do you get somebody to shift their mindset to that? I say, knock yourself out and do it in six months and then come back to me. Because one of two things are going to happen. Either A, <laughs> you're not so going to execute. Yeah, that's great. No, because you can't convince anybody. Right. I'm like, awesome. Execute on that, and then let's revisit it and measure, and let's mm -hmm. look at the results of that. Usually, most people, from an execution standpoint, don't deliver because it's a lot of freaking work, and mm -hmm. they get stressed out, whatever. But hypothetically, yes. if they do, they are not going to see the kind of results that they're wanting to see. Now, I will say there's an exception. I have a good friend who lives out in Cyprus. He's a young man who's not married and low. You know, um, he 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 can he can afford to spend. He literally spends his whole days making content and it's incredible. And he posts two or three times a day. Unbelievable. And I'm super, super jealous. He has that privilege to be able to do that. And mm. it's completely different. But he is spending hours on each piece. Now, most folks aren't doing that. What they're saying is we need a D-Rock to come around and film every single thing that we do and just literally live our lives out on the internet, which nobody gives a 
about that. Nobody wants to see it because it's not valuable. So I would say, go, go knock yourself out, go see what's going on and just look at your data. Look and see how it's actually performing. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of folks are, I mean, you know this, they're looking at these metrics that don't mean absolutely anything at all. They're like, oh, this got this many views or whatever. Cool. How many comments did it get? How many conversions? How many people said that they found you from XYZ? You know, you might be tricking the algorithm because you did some trend and did some video that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that you're doing. You might get some views, but is that actually helping your business? Yes. You know? I, I love that. And I also think, well, uh, two things here. For those of you who don't know, uh, D-Rock. D-Rock is... Gary Sorry. Vee's, no, no, no it's, <laughs> it's totally okay. Because I you said D-Rock and I was like... I, and I was just thinking to myself, I was like... I know who D-Rock is, but does everybody else know? So D-Rock uh, yeah. is Gary Vee's like cameraman. He's like his right-hand guy, his creative director. Right. And, Gary, right. and D-Rock literally follows Gary Vee around. So anybody who follows Gary Vee and you're seeing all this content out there, like D-Rock's the guy that's like following him 24-7, 365 and recording everything that Gary does. Right. Probably except he has a full team. Full I think team. it's a, the Gary Vee team. It's it's about I think five to ten people that are just on Gary Vee's content. That's it. That's all they do. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I know it's it's oh God, it's unbelievable. Um, I, I think also when it comes to measuring or discussing metrics, when it talks about qualitative data, I think one of the things that's really important too is to set an objective for yourself as to yes. what is important yes. for you when it comes to content. I know yes. coaches out there and consultants who run high six-figure businesses and they don't get a whole lot of views on their reels. But yeah. that's not their goal. Yeah. Their goal is right. consistency of message. Their goal is to sell an offer. Their goal is to be clear and concise. And their goal is to just post as much as they can. And they have a minimum right. threshold, right? So when we talk about frequency, you know, five times a week is a minimum threshold for them. That's a commitment that they make. But their goal is, am I getting people to book discovery calls with me? Am I getting people to enroll in my masterminds? Am I getting people to buy my courses? It's very important for you as you're creating content to know and understand what is important to you. Because Heather, I think you said it, you said it beautifully. Yeah, like you can get a million vo- views, but if nobody follows you, nobody clicks on buying your book, nobody clicks on your right. product courses, um, your digital products or courses, then you know, did you really create a successful piece of content? Right. Yeah. And you know, um, an, another untapped value add to content that we don't talk enough about is creating a body of work just as, as a standalone piece of, of, of credibility. Because if you think about it, when someone goes and looks you up, which I do this all the time, somebody pitches me for something, I don't go to their website, I go to their socials, which I know I'm a little weird with that. But I do that creating, too. I think it's great. I think it's such a smart totally, thing to do. It, you, it, says, it says everything about you. So what if, what if your content isn't just about conversion, but creating a body of work and a piece of credibility? So when people are researching you and seeing what you're about, you've created a flow of work that you're proud of, almost like a portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me give you an example of this. So my brother uh, writes 
scripts and he's gotten some landed some really cool opportunities lately with some really big industries now he's gone the conventional path with that but now we're talking about you know creating a body of content for him on his social so when these execs are looking him up they can see his mentality his philosophy his writing process and it's less about getting gigs through his social which there's argument for that but it's also to creating a digital blueprint uh or footprint of who you are to you know, validate what you bring to the table. So there's that too. And I'll, I'll, one more thing on that. That's why I think consistency and flow in your content is really important because before I was doing the chair videos, I've had several videos go viral before, but they were like these random ass things that had nothing to do with what I was doing in life. It, it wasn't consistent. So I didn't necessarily get follows or any kind of credibility there. I had a, a video on Facebook hit 10 million 10 million views. That's unbelievable. And I did a series on it and it was an accumulation of probably 15 million. Guess what that did for me in my life? Zero. Nothing. Wow. Except for at Thanksgiving bragging about it, right? <laughs> it, it did nothing for me. But creating a body of work with yeah. these real with these chair videos, what it is is people can look at my body of work now and go, oh, this is what she does. Yes, mm. I want to follow this. No, I don't. And so think of it as a portfolio too when you're creating content and not just, it's not always conversions, even though I just said earlier it should be. (laughs) No, I love love that. And um, something I I, I look at when it comes to social media accounts, especially with Instagram being like the main, you know, go, you know, go-to platform. Think of it as a business card. Think of it as a business card. I have been to more events uh, post-COVID in the last couple of years where people don't ask me for a card. They immediately yes. pull out their phone and they go, what's your Instagram handle? Yes. And I'm like, uh, oh, this is this is a new feeling. Okay, well, yeah, here's yes. my Instagram. And then they follow you and then they either like some of your posts or they'll shoot you a DM on there. And it's interesting because then the text message, when you exchange and get somebody's information, which used to be, you know, Hey, shoot me your email address or shoot me your text. Now it's like, oh, let me just follow you on Instagram. It's becoming mm-hmm. this interactive business card for a lot of people, especially those who are starting to build a personal yes. brand. It really is. So think of it that way too. It's not just a portfolio. It's your business card. It's your lifestyle. And uh, I, I will tell you earlier, probably... I would probably say like... You know, 2018, 2019, oh my God, I used to have this complete total, total disdain for social media. Oh, really? I thought, it, oh, <laughs> yeah, I was one of those people. I would, that was the hill I was willing to die on. I was like, this is ridiculous. Mm. This is getting, you know, fucking out of control. Like mm. people are sitting there and enslaving themselves to a platform and like, it's becoming total, like interdependent on, you know, Instagram, like pumping you up. You know, you live in, you know, there's a saying in basketball, it's like you live by the three pointer, you die by the three pointer. It's like people live by mm. Instagram and then they die by Instagram. Their entire business either mm. blows up or it completely goes to shit. Wow. And I used to be one of those people. I was like, you, you can't do that. I've changed my stance a lot. However, I do think diversification on how you um, own your audience and how you build your audience is still extremely important. I still think don't rely on just social media to just keep Agreed. giving you business because you will Agreed. you will at some point um, become one of the live by the three, die by the three people. Um, Agreed. However, I, my stance on social media over the last 
four years has completely changed because of this interactive business card, because of this portfolio that you're talking about. Which brings me to which brings me to like this artistic, you know, perspective that I think I find in your work is very cool. And I think you're doing this kind of like once some of these reels that I, I was watching before we recorded today was um, you're kind of doing these like inspirational like e news um, kind of short form videos. That's how I that's see it. You know when you, when you when you yeah that's, there you go <laughs> coin it. Um, yeah, but it, it's kind of like a it's kind of like you know when you're at the gas station at like a Circle K and you're like pumping your gas and then they have that thing on the screen that's like the Cheddar News update and it's like a thirty second when you pump your gas and you should next time you go fill up your car go see if you go see yeah. that. But they do these little news segments that I think is so amazing and so brilliant. And when I saw your content, it was like 30 seconds at Circle K, I can get my news update, what's happening in the world. I watched your stuff and it was very similar. It was like, here's an, but it's inspirational. It's not just like, here's news. It's like, here's about creative creativity. Here's about a famous person. Here's a book. Here's a podcast and building your content around that. I think it's, really artistic and I think it's really well thought out. How did you, you decide to let that be the inspiration of how you wanted to convey a message in this transition that you're mm. going into uh, being more of a creative director piece? You know, creators will say that creativity needs restriction. It needs boundaries. It needs some kind of structure in order to be more creative, which mm. just seems counterintuitive because you think creativity is like throwing up colorful crayons on a piece of paper when really it's creating borders around something and operating within that. So for the past several years, I've been hyper obsessed with short form content. I was trying so hard to be a comedian at one point. I was think I'm way funnier than apparently that I am. Um, <laughs> and I was just putting out... I mean, I've done everything everything. I've tried posting multiple times a day. I've tried doing sketches. I've tried trends. I've tried everything. I mean, you can scroll and see what I've done. It's humiliating. Mm. I've I've just poured myself into trying to figure out video because I know that I'm good at it and I can be, or I could be good at it. I knew I could be. I knew I had something. Right. I just couldn't figure out what it was. So I got really mad one day and decided, you know what, Heather Parody, you are going to sit your butt in this blue chair and you're not going to move. And you're going to look at the camera and you are going to not have permission to get up. I was like punishing myself until you figure out what you're trying to say. That's it. Mm. So I sat down in the chair and the very first video that I did was no script. It was nothing. I literally shared something like I would. If you and I went out and hung out, Mm -hmm. I would mention a book. I would mention something I heard on a podcast and I would probably talk about some interview that I heard with some celebrity and how that ties back into some spiritual truth. That is who I am. That's this great. is what I talk about. I love that. No, like no lie. Like no lie. You don't want to go out in Mexican with me. It's boring AF because that's all I do. Um, so when I sat in the chair, I was like, okay, well, let me just share something that I've been thinking about lately. And I had a book and I did it. It didn't get a it didn't get a ton of views. It had a few thousand. But the quality of the comments that I got after that and the DMs were undeniable immediately. People were saying, whoa, that was really valuable. Oh my goodness, I love this, whatever. And so I just kept doing it and kept doing Mm. it. So it's evolved. And as you can tell, if you watch my first video to now, it's a lot different. I'm learning editing. I'm learning. It's 
embarrassing the mistakes I make with the sound and all of that because I'm learning how to do all of it. You're doing it yourself? Um, everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We didn't even so talk about I, that in the creative process. I research. I write. I spent six hours yesterday writing. That's all I did was I sat at the kitchen table, had a pot of coffee, and I wrote. Um, and then I'll record my cut one. I'll send that to my VA and she cuts out the spaces in between and the, me reading the script. And then I give her my script and I tell her, find pictures of this, cut out this clip. I mean, I give her step by step and then she'll put it in a folder. Then I'll open it and premiere over here and I'll edit it for, it takes me about two hours per video to edit it. So each video is around four hours and I'm trying to cut that down to three. Um, I don't know if I could cut it down past that. But for me, editing is a huge part of the creative process. And people are like, well, why don't you just elsewhere set to Fiverr? And I'm like, because it will suck. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's why, <laughs> you know, and I need to learn uh, how to write better. And so part of writing better for me is learning how to edit because yeah. then I'm forced to learn how to write better. Uh, but anyway, that's that. You know, Hemingway used to say, write drunk, edit sober. So it's... <laughs> that was, I've done that. Yeah. Back in my drinking <laughs> days, I thought that was the best. You know, I've been I've been sober from alcohol for going on eight years this year, but you know... Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's no, awesome. Thank you. Uh, but that's back awesome. In my, back, in my, uh, back in my aspiring Hemingway, you know, you know, write drunk, yeah. edit sober days, I was like, this is the best piece of advice ever. It's like, I'm so fucking genius when I'm under substances. And it's and it's really interesting because um yeah, there's some truth to that. However, um I don't highly recommend it for the creative process because I think a lot of creativity is aligning yourself spiritually with, you know, higher power and oh, your and your true preach. self. And you know, again, preach. we could have a whole other podcast on that. Um, but we are coming to the end of the interview today. And Heather, you've been... Well, me, oh, go for it. Yeah, no, no, no. Please, yeah, yeah, please. Real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I want to bring it back home to something that's actionable yeah. for folks listening because I'm not saying... I don't think people on Reels should spend four hours per Reel. This is the craft that I'm learning. And that's unique to me and people who want to make videos. I think what's applicable to those who want to make short form content is think along the lines of series and restriction. Yes. So testing out two to three very uh, confined series, meaning I only sit here or I'm in my car or whatever, come up with three, do five, five of them each, and then look at how it's being received by others and how you feel because how you feel matters too and then make adjustments. Mm. I just mean restriction is really, really important here. I just don't want people to feel like, oh my God, I got to spend four hours per reel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, no. I'm a weirdo. No, yeah. but that's... but. Well, first of all, I think that it's so beautiful, your creative process and even sharing that. And I know a lot of people will find that helpful. I think series is a great way. Um, I always... I always suggest for people when they're starting out making content is, you know, the goal is for you to become, um, to preach like a pastor. If you really think about it, they're, they're the, well, they're, I mean, any good pastor, when you see them on Instagram, like you have to think about it. People who've been, who've been pastors for 20 years in the ministry mm -hmm. for 20 years, they're doing a sermon once a week and they're talking for 45 minutes. And that's not even yes. on top of the other services that they're doing. Yes. And they've been doing that they're for masters. 20 years. And they have mm -hmm. three Super Bowls. 
They have three Super Bowls they got to deliver. They got Easter Sunday, they have Christmas, and then they have Good Friday. Like, and I, and, and, That's hilarious. Yeah, but think about it. Like, you have to step up on Easter Sunday it's and true. on Christmas. You have and to be, kill it. yeah, and you have to kill it every time. So good and, and true. If you if you think about that, and you know, and another one is, and, and again, you know, this is this is not political affiliation, and I don't want anybody taking it there because you know, people on the internet love taking stuff to the far reaches of the universe for no reason, taking things out of context. But when Rush Limbaugh was alive, mm-hmm. twenty five million people used to listen to him every single day, and he would talk mm-hmm. for three to four hours a day, Monday through Friday, for 30 years until he died. That's incredible. Howard Stern was the same way. He's the same way. He's got millions of people that listen to him every single day. And he's doing a radio show every single day, Monday through Friday. It's unbelievable when you think about the context of series. These are people that you can look at. Even when Oprah was doing her talk show, she was doing it every single day. It Think of it like the long-term game is, is can you see yourself as a minister for 20 years? Can you see yourself as a talk show host for 30 years and saying, I'm going to do this Monday through Friday, 45 minutes a day and just do it. That's such a good analogy. That's the long, that's the, the long road to creativity and success. Preach. In this life. Preach. Well, with that being said, <laughs> we're at the end of the interview. And Heather, you've been so good. So, so you've fun. Been, yeah, it was it was really fun. You've been absolutely wonderful. And thank you for first of all for just sharing your wisdom and your um, your experience and your creativity, but also just your passion. Um, and I love your candidness and your vulnerability. And I just want to honor that here on the show. You've been you. really you've been really fantastic. And I hope everybody got a lot of value out of this conversation. But before we wrap up, Heather. As you know, we ask every single guest on this show their definition mm-hmm. of living their truth. So, Heather, what does it mean to you to live your truth? To live my truth. I want, I've lived a double life before. I've lived where I felt like I needed to say certain things to people to be accepted. I think my core wound is belonging. Mm. Um, I navigate this world just like that is my deep pain from my childhood is is belonging and acceptance. And so when things flare up, you know, that insecurity, it's really easy for me to say things that I feel like will opt me into being accepted by somebody or being loved by someone. And there were several years... Um, I think we all do this as a young adults where I fell in a really dark place where I was literally living two identities and the sickness that that brought on me, the depression. Um, I, I never want to revisit that again. And there's definitely times I slip up into that and maybe feel like, you know, I wasn't being as vulnerable or as real Heather as I should have been in that situation because I felt insecure or whatever. And I can see that, you know, still creeping in in my life now. But you say living your truth is when I can say stuff that could potentially separate me when I want to be pulled in. You know, I don't mean an asshole, like I want to be controversial, you know, but (laughs) being honest about how I really feel and risk not being accepted and not being loved. And the counter to that, which has been so interesting, is even in those moments when I have chosen to do that, 
the love and acceptance and belonging that I feel within myself and to my creator is so strong that it like trumps the love and acceptance I would have got from that person, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm definitely on a continuum with that. And I'm looking forward to getting older because I can see down the road, you know, a lot of 50, 60, 70 year old women are like balling in their truth, you know, and I can't (laughs) wait to um, shed all my 30, 40 year old insecurities and um, walk into that more and more every day. Mm, That's beautiful. And I think you're, uh, I think you're well on your way, my friend. So Hope so. That is, that's a that is a beautiful explanation of living your truth. And again, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thanks. you're good at this. Oh, you're so good. Thank you. I, this is great. This I'm is a very great. I'm very honored. Um, and thank you, Heather, for coming on. We'll have to have you back on again. Thank thanks. And thanks to all of you for tuning into this week's episode of Live Your Truth. Now, if you like what you heard, go ahead and follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio podcasts. And then you can also watch this version of the episode on YouTube and all the other interviews that we've done and conversations oh, man, that we've had. Oh, man, I comb my hair. What? Okay. <laughs> just joking. So we'll edit that out. Well, no, wait, I'm just kidding. No, um, leave it in. No, we're going to leave that in. No, no, no. I was saying we're, we can edit to make your hair look nice. We'll just give you, we'll give you a final Got approval it. on that Got too. It. So, uh, but this is Michael Gorey, everyone. Thank you guys for joining. I'll see you next time. Oh.